The Lord is with us. I'm so thankful that He is. He's with us no matter what comes, no matter where we are and what goes on. And uh, thankful that God is near. I hope that you know that He's with you this morning. And He wants to be with you. If you say, I don't think He's with me. He wants to be with you if you'll go to be with Him. Let's take our Bibles this morning. Turn to the book of Daniel. Book of Daniel chapter 3. I've been working through just some different things over the last few weeks and we'll continue to study through this over the next few weeks as well, calling this series Faith Foundations as we think about just some very important things for us as people, as human beings and as followers of God. Uh, We need to understand what our foundation is. We need to be able to stand in difficult days and I'm thankful that even as we look at this what may be a very familiar story to you in Daniel chapter 3, that while we live in some interesting and unknown and even difficult times, the day we're living in is not as hard as the day that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were living in back in Daniel chapter 3. We live in a hot place, but it's nothing like the burning fiery furnace that these guys faced on this day with King Nebuchadnezzar. We live in a place where we're unsure of what's going to come in the future. But these men were facing a day where they had no freedom and they were forced to bow to a false god. So this morning as we look at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the burning, fiery furnace, I hope that you'll listen and pay attention because I believe it is possible to stand strong even when everyone else bows down. And you'll see this morning that I think you can stand strong even when everybody around you seems to be bowing down. There's so much for us in this story and you'll see through this story that it's not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that are glorified in this story. It's God that's glorified in this story because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are just people just like you and I are people. So the story here this morning isn't just Wow, look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The story this morning is, wow, look at God. And if we serve the same God as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego serve, we ought to be able to stand even when everyone bows. Here in the story, uh, let me set the stage for you just a little bit because maybe this is an unfamiliar story to you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are three Hebrew young men that have been taken from their home. See, King Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler of Babylon. He was the king of the world pretty much at that point in time. He had conquered all the other nations around him. He had established his military power. And here in Daniel chapter 3, he was establishing his political and even religious power because he was setting up a tower and he wanted everybody to bow down and to worship this idol. He was showing his power because he gathered people from all of his provinces, all of the political leaders, all of the military leaders, people that spoke many different languages from many different nations. This was a massive crowd that he called out that day. And they all came for one purpose, to bow down and worship the idol that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. He had set up this image. It was 90 feet tall. And the Bible tells us it was made out of gold. That's a lot of gold. 90 feet tall, some 9 feet wide. Some people think it was maybe in the 
in fashion after like maybe one of the Egyptian obelisks, similar in shape maybe to like our Washington Monument in Washington, D.C., or the, or the San Jacinto Monument here just south of us a little ways. But this tower is 90 feet tall. It was set up in the middle of this giant plain, this open area. In fact, archaeologists have found this square of large square bricks out there in this plain about six miles south of Babylon. They think that that may have been the place where this tower was built. But either way, as you can imagine, all these people, thousands of people gathered all around this bright golden statue. The Bible tells us that when all the music was played, they had a large orchestra, probably a good bit bigger than our orchestra, even though we're thankful for all of our instrumentalists here that play, but gathered together. And when they played all the music, all the people were supposed to bow down. It was very clear what was supposed to happen that day. And everything, almost everything, went according to Nebuchadnezzar's plan. All the people came. The tower had been built. It's covered in gold. You can imagine Nebuchadnezzar must have been quite proud that day to look at all of his work, at all of the people that now he was in charge over and all these people that now were going to come and worship him. Nebuchadnezzar was possibly acting on the dream that he had had that's recorded for us in Daniel chapter 2 where he had this dream where he saw himself as this head of gold on this body and all of these people then coming and following after him. And he said, well, I've got to act on that. I'm going to build myself a tower. I'm going to make it out of gold. And I'm going to get all the people together to worship me. So all the people gathered. The musicians were prepared. They were practiced up. The orchestra leader, I'm sure, had his spot and he was ready to go. All the people were ready for the sound. And when the music played, everybody bowed down. Except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, why did these three men stand when everyone else bowed? Let's look at the story. We'll pick it up in verse 8 of Daniel chapter 3. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. The Chaldeans were some of these other leaders in Babylon. They came near and they accused the Jews to Nebuchadnezzar. They spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, there's that big orchestra, shall fall down and worship the golden image. See, this wasn't just a political statement where everybody was bowing to the king. This was a religious event. They were gathered to worship this idol. Look at verse 11. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. What a choice, right? You can bow down or you can burn. Some would say that's not much of a choice at all. To, to bow down to this idol, nobody will even notice it's in the crowd or be burned in the burning fiery furnace. Why would anybody stand? That's not much of a choice. Can I encourage you this morning, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of God, you always have a choice of whether or not to do right. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not height or depth or any other thing. No principality, no power. 
Nothing can separate us from God's love. But to the casual observer that day, to the person gathered on that field, it didn't seem like much of a choice. And I would encourage you, if you were standing on that field that day, you probably would be struggling and not feeling like you had much of a choice either. Look at verse 12. It says, There are certain Jews, they're accusing them, certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. How were these men able to stand when everyone else bowed? We see here in these first few verses that we just read that the pressure to bow was very great. There was great pressure placed upon these men to bow, just like everybody was being pressured to bow down. I mean, that's a lot of pressure. Bow or burn, right? A lot of pressure. Notice this pressure. There was pressure not only because of the choice between bowing or burning, there was pressure because they were in the minority. Back in verse 12, it says there were certain Jews. It's only Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, if you remember, these men had been taken against their will from the land of Judah and had been forced to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. And if you go back to chapter 1 of Daniel, you'll know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel had all been put to various tests by the king. And they had passed these tests and they had been put into positions of authority in the land. But because we know the king was gathering all of his leaders from all of the various countries and provinces and places that he ruled over, I think it's a very strong possibility that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not the only people at this event who claimed to follow Jehovah. In fact, the Bible tells us back in Jeremiah 51 and verse 59 that the king of Judah, King Zedekiah, was in Babylon in the fourth year of his reign. And most of the Bible scholars that I can find believe that King Zedekiah would have been summoned because he was under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar. So he would have been summoned by the king to bow down that day. So there's a very strong possibility that King Zedekiah and his followers from Judah, who claimed to follow Jehovah, were there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they bowed down, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood. The pressure to bow is great. They were in the minority Notice they also had a position of influence. As they brought this accusation against them, they said, these Jews that you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were over all of the things going on in the province of Babylon. This was a position of great importance and influence that Nebuchadnezzar had given to them. And do you understand how when you have a position of influence the pressure to bow can be even greater. When you're concerned about your career, when you're concerned about your position in your family, when you're concerned about what 
some other group might think about you because you have some amount of influence among people, there is a great pressure to bow and to follow after the ways of everyone else rather than to stand. There was a pressure because they were in the minority. There was a great pressure because they had a position of influence. Often people make decisions trying to preserve their status or position. I mean, how many times has somebody at work done something just because they're trying to save themselves? They'll throw you under the bus so they can protect their own position. But earlier, they might have been agreeing with you in the break room and telling you how you're right, and then they'll go out and do something totally different. Why? Because the pressure to bow is great. They want to preserve their own position. But, oh, my friend, how easy we can get caught up doing the same thing. It's easier to bow than it is to stand. The pressure to bow was very great. They were in the minority. They had a position of influence, but also, we know this, everyone else was doing it. Go back to verse 7. It says in the middle of the verse, all the people, the nations, the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image. This wasn't just a small crowd. This wasn't something that they could avoid. They were going to be seen. They were the, the overseeing the affairs of the province of Babylon. So I don't know how things were arranged that day, but you know how most big events and big gatherings go. There's generally a, a VIP section, right? Where the people with the greatest positions of authority are closest to the center or in the place where everybody could see. To the best of my understanding, that would have been where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. They, they, this wasn't the guys out on the fringe of the crowd. These weren't the guys who, you know, nobody really knew who they were. They would have been front and center for everybody to see. Oh, there was great pressure on them to bow. So the question becomes, well, then how did they stand and not bow? Were they just super Christians? You know, are they just tougher than you and me? Problem is we can't look at this story and just rely on our own toughness to get us through. Because I believe there is a pressure great enough that every single person will bow if they're standing in their own strength. Because your strength will fail at some point. And I realize, I look around this room, there's some very strong people in this room. Some of you have been through some very difficult things. Some of you have great mental power, great physical power, great fortitude to go through difficult things. But there is a pressure at which every person breaks if the only strength they have is their own. These men weren't standing just because they were unusually strong men. They were standing because they had a strength that was not their own, that was beyond themselves. And that strength is the strength of God. We see that in the next section of Scripture here. While the pressure to bow is great, the priority of your heart must be to serve God. That's how they stood. Look at verse number 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods? 
nor worship the golden image which I have set up. Now, if ye be ready that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made, well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Notice his question right here. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand. Here Nebuchadnezzar is, he's looking out, he sees all the people. It's not just his nation, it's all the nations that he's conquered. This is a powerful man. He's showing off his power by being able to gather people from all nations and languages that now he's in charge of. He's set up this pillar that's 90 feet tall and covered in gold. I wouldn't even have enough gold to cover a one-inch tower. He's got a 90-foot tower that's nine feet wide. It's, it, it's, this is an incredible tower. And now he's got three guys who won't bow down. So he asks them this question, Who is the God that will be able to save you out of my hand? Nebuchadnezzar thought he was God. That's why he wanted everybody to come and worship. Why did he think he was God? Well, because Nebuchadnezzar got whatever he wanted. He was it. He was the top. He had won all of his battles. He, he was in charge over all these nations. I mean, all the world that mattered at that point in time that they knew about basically was worshiping Nebuchadnezzar, except three guys. So how did they stand? Notice their answer in verse number 16. He asked the question, Who is that God that shall deliver you? Here's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. They answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But, if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. What an answer. I want you to notice the priority of their heart here in this because when answering an angry king, your mind must already be made up. You see this back here? I mean, this king's angry. He's, he's enraged and, and fury. He asked them this question, Who can save you from my hands? And their answer was, We are not careful to answer thee. This wasn't a question that they had to think about their answer for. Often we struggle to stand because when we face difficult situations, we're not prepared ahead of time to catch us by surprise. This didn't catch them by surprise. They had been announced. They knew they were supposed to gather. They had been commanded to come. And I think it's interesting to note, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego showed up that day even knowing what was going to take place that day. Because I believe this, 
When God has placed an authority in your life, you must obey that authority as long as you possibly can until that authority tells you to disobey God. Nebuchadnezzar was the king. When the king said, come, you came. But when the king says, bow and worship me, now they said, no, I worship a higher king. They went as far as they could in obedience to the king until it came the point that they had to choose whether they were going to follow God or follow the king. That's very important for us to remember today. Because when our authorities do things we don't like, often we just want to get mad and just disobey everything they say. And that's not the right response of a person who's submitted to God's word. Obey them to have the rule over you, the Bible says. But they obeyed them as far as they could. And then they said, but we will not bow. They had already made up their mind. These men, they answer together. You notice it's all three of them. It wasn't like one of them talking, the other guy said, well, that's, that's you, Shadrach, <laughs> me and Meshach. We're, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and bow down. You're, you're now by yourself. No, they'd all three gotten together and made a plan. I see great strength here of right brothers in Christ encouraging one another, deciding what they're going to do. Clearly, they had studied God's Word. They knew God. They'd walked through some difficult circumstances. They had made up their minds ahead of time. And if we're going to stand strong in an evil day, stand strong when things are difficult, say the right thing, even when the pressure is against us to do the wrong thing, we better have taken some time to make up our mind where we stand before we get into that difficult situation. They'd made up their mind. Notice, secondly, when answering an angry king, you must know who your God is. King Nebuchadnezzar said, well, who is this God? Who is that God that is able to deliver you out of my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we know who that God is. He's our God. Our God's able to deliver us. Our God's able to deliver us. I want to point this out, and I... I missed making this point in the first service so this is your advantage you get you get you get the extra point here notice in verse 17 it's very interesting he says our god whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace so they knew god was able to deliver them from the furnace they didn't know for sure whether god would deliver them from the burning fiery furnace notice what they did know though they knew what God was able to do, but they also, in the second part of the verse, they knew what God would do. Notice this. And He will deliver us out of thine hand, O King. God may not deliver us out of the furnace. We know He can. But we do know He will deliver us out of your hand, King. That's important to remember. Because sometimes when we face difficulty and we're feeling a lot of pressure, the pressure to bow is great, and we're concerned about what's going to take place. We don't always know what God will do, but we do know what God can do. And there's great trust in that, isn't there? What my God can do, my God can save, my God is powerful, my God is mighty, my God can overcome all things, my God can calm the storms, my God can give sight to the blind, my God can cause the lame to walk, my God can even bring dead back to life. But just because he can do it doesn't mean he always will do it. But what he always will do for his children is deliver you. But his deliverance doesn't always mean 
that it comes about in the way that you and I expect it to come about. Often we want God's deliverance to look like where we advance, where our problem just magically disappears and everything becomes easy. But that's not the deliverance God always promises. But we can take great confidence in what God can do and what God will do. And notice their confidence in verse 18. They're basically saying either way. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. These men knew who their God was. They understood his power. They understood what he would do. They understood what he could do. And I would challenge you this morning, if you're going to be able to stand as an individual, with your family, for the Lord, whatever it is, in whatever situation you face. You need to have made up your mind ahead of time what you're going to do. But secondly, you must know your God. How sad today that in our culture, many Christians know far more about who's playing baseball than they do about what's taking place in God's Word. We spend much more time conversing and looking at things on social media than we do spending time in prayer and in God's Word. The reason people often are unable to stand when the pressure is great is because they don't know their God. They don't have a relationship with Him. They may know some things about Him. They may have even come to church on Sunday. But do you know Him personally? Have you heard His voice? Have you felt His presence? Have you seen Him answer prayer? Have you rejoiced when He's at work? I don't know about you, but it feels very quiet in here when we talk about that, doesn't it? Because I think the truth is, we understand if push came to shove and the pressure was great, Many of us would fail to stand. We would bow. Why? Because we don't know our God. But can I encourage you this morning that that's not a problem that has no solution. That has, you can get to know God. He wants to know you. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to pay for your sin. And if you'll trust in Him, He'll forgive you and give you eternal life and a relationship with Him. He's given us His Word, the Bible, that we can read and learn and get to know Him. But it's a daily walk. It's a process. But you can know your God. These men knew their God. That's why they were able to stand when everyone else bowed. But I want you to notice also, I already read verse 18. They said, either way, whether we go into the furnace or whether God takes us out of the furnace, we're not going to bow down. See, when answering an angry king, you must be willing to suffer the consequences. These men were willing to go to the furnace. Are you willing to go wherever he leads you? There's a song that we sing sometimes, wherever he leads, I'll go, right? Wherever he leads, I'll go. Do we mean it? See, we tend to look at the consequences and weigh things out. Well, 
If I do this, I might lose this friend. If I do this, I might not be able to go here anymore. If I follow God, I might have to give all these things up in my life. If I choose to do right, what are people going to think about me? And we're worried about the consequences. And so we are unable to stand. If you want to be able to stand and not bow, you must be willing to suffer the consequences that come with following God. And sometimes there are. People have died following God. People have given up great things to follow God. But the wonderful thing is every single thing that you could ever lose in following God, God can always repay you and He always does far greater than you could ever give up in service for Him. I love what Jesus said. I, when He was talking to His disciples, He told them after a little while He was going to leave them, but He said, I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there ye may be with me. Behold, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I realize some of you have been through some consequences for your choice to follow God. But I could also imagine that if we had testimony time this morning, some of you could give many testimonies of the consequences you faced in your life by choosing not to follow God. Sin is a hard taskmaster. Satan is an evil master. Someone said sin will always take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you want to pay. But with God, He's good. Understand, though, choosing to follow Him may mean facing consequences. Notice the next part of the story, though, it gets really exciting here. Verse number 19, Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. That's hot. This morning I was here with Larry at 5.30. He was firing up the barbecue pit. We're ready to make some barbecue for our starting point class that starts after this service, and uh, it's going to taste good. I'm looking forward to that. But that barbecue pit's not anywhere as hot as this fiery furnace was that day. In fact, if you keep reading in the verse 20, it tells us that, that, these, that he commanded his mighty men to cast them into the fiery furnace. And then later, when you go down a few verses, you see that these men, verse 22, that cast them into the furnace, the fire was so hot it killed the men that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace. It's hot. They were just next to the fire and it was so hot it killed them. Why did Nebuchadnezzar have the fire heated seven times hotter than it was normally heated up? Well, when he asked them the question, who is this God that's able to deliver you? They said, our God is able to deliver us. I think Nebuchadnezzar took that as a challenge. He took that as a challenge to his authority, his position, that he's the king. He thought he was the king of all kings. But there was a king he didn't know about who is the true king of kings and lord of lords. So he said, I'm going to heat this up seven times hotter. 
Who is the God that's able to deliver you from me? There's another story in the Old Testament, back a few books, in 2 Kings, when Elijah stands on the top of Mount Carmel, and he was standing there to prove to the people of Israel that the Lord Jehovah was the true God and not the false god Baal. There had been a drought for three and a half years. It hadn't rained. And so they built these two altars on the top, one for Baal and one for God. And, and he said, whoever sends fire from heaven, that's the true God. And the, the prophets and priests of Baal, they, they danced around and they, they called out to Baal and no fire came. Finally, it was Elijah's turn. And if you remember, he sent off and he said, bring me some barrels of water and pour it on the sacrifice. And he did that not one time, not two times, but three times. They soaked the sacrifice. The, the meat was soaked. The wood was soaked. The rocks were soaked. Even the trench that they dug around the altar was full of water. And then he prayed and God sent fire from heaven. I think Elijah wanted to make it very clear that it was not some just spark, not some little random happenstance action that caused this fire, not because the wood was so dry because of three years of drought. He wanted everybody to know that God had sent fire from heaven. And I think it's wonderful in this story, this furnace is heated seven times hotter. Is anything too hard for God? No. A burning fire furnace is not too hard. Even seven times hotter than it was normally heated to. So they bind them up, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They throw them in the furnace. The men who threw them in, the flame was so hot that they died from the flame. Verse 23, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And now all of a sudden the story changes. Up to now, Nebuchadnezzar's been in charge. He's got his idol built. He has all those nations that he's conquered, all those languages he has them all gathered in. He's got his orchestra. I mean, can you imagine this man? He's, he feels like he's on top of the world. He's got everything figured out. He's in charge. Everybody has to do what he says. Except for these three guys, they won't bow. All right, I'll take care of them. Heat that thing up seven times hotter. Throw them in. We'll take care of them and we'll go on celebrating. Me, the king, being in charge of everything. But all of a sudden, you see a complete change in Nebuchadnezzar's attitude. All of a sudden... He was surprised. Everything up to now, he's been in control. That's, that's part of being God. You get to be in control. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was God. He, everybody had to do whatever he said. Except till now. Notice, then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished. He was astonished. And he rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they said, Well, true, O king. Right? That's what you always said to the king. Yes, king. You're right. You're always right. But he answered and said, Lo, I see four men walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. But keep reading. And the form of the fourth is like... The Son of God. See, while the pressure to bow was great, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the priority of their heart was to please God and to serve God. And so now we see in the last part of this story, the power of God is demonstrated through the faithfulness of His children. God's great power is now being demonstrated. Notice how His power is demonstrated. Number one, God's presence was with them in the fire that He allowed them to enter. Remember when I said sometimes we want God's deliverance to be that which takes us out of something before we ever have to go into it? But often God's deliverance comes as He goes through the fire with us. Can I encourage you this morning, just because God hasn't kept that problem for your life doesn't mean that God's not with you in the midst of your problem. The Son of God was with these men right in the middle of this fire. I love that. God won't always deliver you by keeping you from a problem, but He'll always deliver you out of the king's hand. God showed His power by being present with them. God's power also was evident when He made them fireproof. I mean, come on, how awesome is that? They get thrown in. The other guys die. It's so hot. These guys are in. Then they get up. They're not bound anymore, so their ropes burn off. They're walking around freely in the middle of a fire. I can only imagine what that must have been like. They're walking around in this fire, and then the Bible says that their hair was not singed, their skin was not burned, their clothing was not burned. In fact, there was not even the smell of smoke on them. Now, if you even go out in our parking lot, you're going to smell like smoke right now. They were in the furnace, and when they came out, they didn't smell like smoke. The fire had no effect on them. See, God's power was evident in that He made them fireproof. When God protects you, even in the midst of your trial, He is the ability to protect you completely in ways far beyond what anyone else could ever imagine. God can do things that you and I can't. I have no idea what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thought when they said God's able to deliver us out of the fiery furnace. Maybe they thought God was just going to remove Nebuchadnezzar from being the king. Maybe he was just going to pour some big heavenly bucket of water on the furnace and put it out. We don't know what they were thinking. But all they knew is God's able. And can I encourage you this morning, as God's child, you don't have to know everything that God's up to. You just need to know that He's able. And trust in Him to do exceedingly far and above all that we could ever ask or think. Some of you this week have experienced the fact that God is able. As we've seen God save souls, as we've seen God do work in people's hearts, God is able. God has all power. Notice though, God's purpose also was fulfilled in bringing praise to Himself. After they come out of the fire, look at verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants, notice, that trusted 
in him. I believe as a king, Nebuchadnezzar understood what it meant to have servants. And he understood what it meant to have servants who trusted him and did what he told him to do. Nebuchadnezzar recognized that these men were under an authority greater than himself. And that's why Nebuchadnezzar blessed God. Because who was the God that could deliver them out of Nebuchadnezzar's hand? Jehovah was the God that was able to deliver, and he demonstrated it to all the people that day. And so now Nebuchadnezzar praises God. These servants, they trusted in him, notice, and have changed the king's word. This is an important phrase because you couldn't change the king's word. Even the king himself could not change his word. You go a couple chapters later, King Darius, and he's throwing Daniel in the lion's den for praying three times a day. And remember, he loved Daniel very much. But because he had decreed that if you prayed to any other god besides King Darius, that you were going to be thrown to the lion's den, even the king, even though he wanted to change his word, he couldn't do it. King Nebuchadnezzar says, you've changed my word. You did something that I didn't think anybody could do. I gave you a cho choice, bow or burn. They didn't bow and they didn't burn because God is bigger and more powerful than any king that this world will ever know. Nebuchadnezzar praised God because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted God they changed the king's word, notice, and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Can I encourage you with that thought this morning as well? That's what God wants of you. He wants you to yield your body as a living sacrifice to him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, God, this king's asked us to bow and to worship him. We can't do it because you're God. And to worship Him is to take away from the worship that we have to give to God and God alone. We will not bow. They yielded their bodies to God. They said, Lord, our life is yours, basically, right? We're giving it to you. You can do with it whatever you want. And God said, I want you to go through the burning fiery furnace, but I'll be with you and I'll deliver you. But they didn't know all that all ahead of time. They just knew what God could do. They didn't know what God would do. Have you yielded your body to the Lord? Have you yielded your life to Him to give Him all of yourself, all that you have? They yielded their bodies to Him so that they would not worship any God except their own God. We see God's purpose fulfilled in bringing praise to Himself as Nebuchadnezzar praised God, even as you and I praise God today because we know that this story took place. We know that God worked in this situation. But we also see in verse 30 that God's people were promoted in the province of Babylon. God, God is amazing because not only did He deliver them out of the fire, then He causes them to be promoted from the position of influence they already had. Isn't that how often we view God though? Well, God, if I serve you, I'm going to have to give up all this and it's going to be hard and I'm going to lose 
this opportunity or I'm going to lose this situation that I'm trying to pursue. But by yielding it all to God, not only did God protect them, God promoted them. I mean, I almost wonder, what are we missing out on because we refuse to submit ourselves to God's plan because we think we know better than Him. And we're missing out on God's promotion in our life because we haven't yielded our lives completely to Him. Listen, I understand from a human perspective, all we can see is what we can see, right? But God can see far above anything you and I could ever see. He can see the past, the present, and the future all together. He can see every situation. He can see every person. He can see every financial need. He can see every physical need. And the Bible says, and we know that God works all things together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. The question is, will you yield yourself to Him to allow Him to work His purpose in your life to the praise of His glory? There was great pressure to bow that day. Almost everybody did. Three men stood when everyone else bowed. My friend, there may be a time in your life, maybe you're right in it right now, where you're going to have to make a decision to either follow God or to follow something or someone else. To either stand for Him or to bow to something else. The only way you'll be able to stand is by keeping your priority on the Lord. Getting to know God personally. Walking with Him. And only then, then and only then will you truly be able to experience God's power on display in your world and in your life as He fulfills His purpose for His praise, for His glory, and for your good. Will you exercise your faith this morning by resting and trusting in the promises of God? If you do this, you can stand for truth when everyone else bows. And the end result will be God's glory and your good. Let's follow Him. Lord, help us. This is a very familiar story to a lot of folks. It might be new to some here today, but whether this is a new story or a familiar story to us, Lord, I pray that each person that hears this message would hear your voice calling to them that we would submit our lives, give our lives to you, holy and acceptable. It's our reasonable service. Thank you for Jesus who is with us. Lord, you've promised never to leave us or forsake us. If there's somebody here this morning that's never trusted in you and given their life completely to you, I pray that today would be the day they would confess their sin and trust in you. Instead of worshiping the ways of this world or their own desires, that they would begin to worship you and follow you. I pray for the person here this morning that is facing difficult things. Lord, may your presence be known to them as they walk with you, as they talk to you, 
Lord, even as they're maybe in the midst of a trial right now, that you would be there to encourage them. We thank you that you've promised that. And that through the encouragement that they get from you, that they receive from you, they would be able even to encourage others who are going through similar circumstances. Lord, I also pray for the person here today whose life is going great and they don't have any problems. Help them not to become so full of themselves or so uh, trusting in their own strength that they fail to walk with you and to be prepared when those difficult days, pressure-filled days come. That They may seek you and follow you and serve you and yield themselves to you completely. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.